Good morning, Applewood family. Special welcome to any of you who are guests with us this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you have come to worship with us. Okay. Why are the decorations still hanging here? Someone tell me. Why not? Because it's what? Because it's not Pentecost yet. Monica, A student this morning. Eastertide season. Supposed to remind us it's party time. It's life after the resurrection. I know, you know all of this. Just tell your head to inform your face. It's party time, my friends. Party time. Now, I can't remember when I shared this story with you. I know that I have. So forgive me. But it's so perfect for this morning. It's the one, the pastor reports that the, uh, the woman came up to him following the Easter Sunday morning service. And she said, so what happened with Jesus after the resurrection? And the pastor told her that, that after a period of time of appearing to his followers and doing a few things with them, that he ascended into heaven and he's alive. <laughs> and she said, well, I, I know he was erected, that, that he was resurrected, but, but he's alive? Yes, he's alive. You mean alive, like, like alive now? Well, yes. And then she said, why didn't you tell me? For the next two weeks, the pastor said, she was calling people that she knew to tell them that Jesus is alive. Did you know he's alive? He's alive, she would say to everyone that she knew. And the truth is, my friends, Jesus being alive is fabulous news. And you look so excited about it. We know that Jesus being alive is not necessarily exciting news to everyone. We, we know that, that it's, it's not a name that attracts everyone. I was reading the sermon of a pastor this week. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, get a life. I, would, you know, I, I, I do that from time to time. I, I, I listen to and read other sermons. <laughs> Thank you, Alfredo. Amy Sue, would you step in, please? <laughs> he said, there has never been a more controversial person than Jesus Christ. Controversy around his birth, his teaching, miracles, death, resurrection. And as a result, he said, more books have been written about him than anyone else. No one is quoted more often than Jesus. He's the favorite subject of artists and songwriters. Now, he didn't cite any sources, and I don't know for sure how you'd go about documenting those things, but I get his point. There is no doubt that Jesus is a historical figure that gets people's attention. Popular, unpopular, loved, hated, people are impressed, or not. Just for fun, listen to these quotes about Jesus. This is from Albert Einstein, non-believer. He said this, As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew. But I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels 
without feeling the actual presence of Jesus, his personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. C.S. Lewis, who described himself as the most recalcitrant convert in Britain, said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. H.G. Wells, who described himself as a historian, not a believer, he said this, I confess, as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. The name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, it, uh, it shows up on the radar screen of history. And for many people, that's a good thing. For many, it is not. And there's no doubt that in the first century, Palestine, where, where the church came into existence, Jesus was, without question, the most concerning figure in the land at that time. The Jewish authorities didn't like Jesus because his followers claimed he was the Messiah, that was entirely inappropriate and unsettling to the, to the traditions, so they had him killed. But that didn't put an end to things. In fact, it, it just made matters worse because after the resurrection, there was an empty tomb. Then what are they going to do with an empty tomb? What's the explanation? Body's stolen, can't find the body. Jesus, dead or alive, just wasn't going away. And we have been following the last couple of weeks one of his followers by the name of Peter. And we've been learning from Peter's relationship with Jesus, or at least I, I hope we have. I hope Peter has, has been coming to life perhaps a bit more for us. He was a follower of Jesus. We, we know from, from just his commitment to Jesus, his, his proclamations, that he was, he was all in with Jesus. At one point, we heard him say, Jesus, I will die with you. If no one else follows you, I will. It doesn't matter. I'll go to the death with you, but then we know. Peter denied Jesus three times in just a, a, a moment of, of great fear, swearing and cursing that he didn't know Jesus. Jesus was tried and crucified, and Peter disappeared. But then he met Jesus after his resurrection on that Galilean shore. And he experienced, I, I think... In a very real way, he experienced perhaps 
more so than ever before, the forgiveness and the unconditional love of Jesus. It took Peter really screwing up and really coming face to face with his own inability, with, with his own inconsistency, with his own sin. That's what it took for him to experience the unconditional love of Jesus in a way that, that I think made the transformation process begin in his life. We've seen him go from a cowardly liar to a courageous orator. Because of Jesus' love and the filling of the Spirit at Pentecost. And this morning we want to we look at just some selected texts that, that outline for us a story in Acts 3 and 4. Last Sunday uh, we saw him as, as loved and, and confident. And, and this morning he is loved and confident and at the same time very passionate And so Luke starts this story for us in Acts 3 by telling us that John and Peter were on their way to the temple for the 3 o'clock, the afternoon prayer time. And and as they got close to the temple, they encountered a man who the Scripture tells us had been crippled since birth and was being carried there uh, to be be laid there near the, the courts of the temple where where those who would beg because they were, they were just desperately dependent upon others for any kind of sustenance in their lives. They were friends taking him to, to lay him there. And so they, they encounter this man as they're on their way to prayer. Let's stand and read these kind of selections from this story. So the man was expecting something from them, and here we go. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them, the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people 
proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of God for us. Amen. Yes, amen. Oh, my goodness. So, did you hear a theme in those verses? I'm just curious. Resurrection from the dead? What else? They were with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. So, it seems... Like, everything revolves around Jesus. So, here's your question. And this is one of those, duh, questions. Why was Peter so passionate about calling attention to Jesus? Now, it's a duh question, but it's an important one. Because remember, Peter's experience is our experience. So, check this out with your neighbor. What do they think? Why was Peter so passionate about calling attention to Jesus? What do you think? How do we explain Peter's passion? Dave? Well, I think he was so ashamed of himself. Okay. So motivation there to, to make up for what he had done. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Say more. Okay. So you're thinking not as much, not as much guilt or desire to, to make up for, but wow, conf- confrontation with the truth. I want people to know the truth. Certainly probably played into it. Yeah, good, good, good. What else? Another comment. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, this is post-Pentecost. Absolutely. Sue? Same thing. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. Boy, some significant historical pieces were, were, were beginning to connect in his mind. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, 
Sure. I think it would be reasonable to include Peter in that crowd of people who had seen Jesus do great things. And, and, and still, you know, he, he, he fell. He stumbled so badly. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, remember little Jimmy, the first grader. You know this. Sunday school class. Teacher says, what do we call that little brown furry animal that has a bushy tail and climbs in trees? And little Jimmy's thinking, well, that's probably a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus because that's always the right answer in this class. (laughs) In Peter's classroom, my friends, Jesus is always the right answer. Always. It is about Jesus. Following his, resurrec- his, his, his restoration by Jesus, following Jesus' resurrection, restoration in Pentecost, Jesus was the right answer in every situation, no matter the circumstances. And, and I think some of, of the greatest value in these early chapters of Acts is that, is that we see very normal people, and, and I, I hope that I hope that you're, you're, you're getting that message. Peter was so normal. Peter was almost abnormal. In, in some ways, he was so normal. Very normal people transformed. People just like us, being drawn into something much larger than themselves, becoming partners with God in his redemptive mission for the world, being rescued from self. Being rescued from self. Jesus came into the world to bring salvation through his death and resurrection. He spent three years pouring his life into a group of men and women that, that quite honestly, otherwise, would not have chosen to live their lives together. Many of them. In his presence... These normal people had their thinking about God turned upside down. And a transformation of their lives was begun. And then he died. He rose. Not long afterward, he left them so that they could be filled with the presence of the Spirit, which evidently couldn't happen while he was still on earth, in order that they would go back to living the good lives that they led before in order that they would do what? Be his witnesses. That they would be his witnesses in all of the world. That their lives would become a witness to the truth of who Jesus was. Their words, their actions, their their very thoughts, everything passionate about making Jesus known. Newsflash. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. The witnesses that they were called to be, we are called to be those witnesses. Did you know that the greatest need of every person on the planet is to know Jesus, to to follow him as as Lord, 
Of course you know that. We all know that. So in the classroom of this life, Jesus is always the right answer. It's the right answer to a lot of of questions. But, But don't hear me saying that that doesn't mean that people don't have other needs in their lives. Of course they do. There are, there are things that are very felt by other people. People who are hungry and people who are thirsty and, and people who are, who are saddened by the fact that their children are dying from very curable diseases. People have great needs as did the man who was laying there at the temple courts. Peter and John recognized the great human need that was before them, saw it as an opportunity to bring Jesus into the conversation and into that man's life. But on the scale of human needs... The greatest need of any person is knowledge of Jesus. To know, to hear about the forgiveness and the love of God available to them through his son. Vic, can we play that video clip? Circle there. Just a normal person, like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was God. So was Muhammad, and so was, you know. We're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, and he, to me, is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. He was somebody that um, just tried to... Um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. What do you think? On the person interviews in the streets of New York, who is Jesus? How do you respond when you hear some of their responses? What are your feelings? Do you, do you find yourself thinking, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's a stupid answer. Oh, that's a good answer. Oh, that's a sad answer. You know... Whatever our responses to that, that's the culture in which we live. Those are real, live people. 
not actors. Some obviously know Jesus. Some know about Jesus. Some have opinions about Jesus. Some have no idea and others could care less. My friends, if we really believe what we do about Jesus, I just preach to myself when I say this. If we really believe what we do about Jesus, then we must believe that the Pentecost Spirit's filling of his people to be witnesses for Jesus includes us. Engaging people like that in our lives around the person of Jesus. The noun form of a witness is defined as a person who saw or can give a first-hand account of something. Peter was both of those. He was able to be a witness as someone who saw Jesus. He certainly was a witness who could give a first-hand account of experience with Jesus in his life. We can speak of what we know to be true about Jesus, though we, we don't have the privilege of being eyewitnesses, but, but each of us, each of us who knows Jesus, each of us who has in our hearts a, a love of, of some size and some shape for Jesus, can speak to that. Each of us can give a first-hand account of what he's done in our lives. People can't argue with your life's experience of... Well, they can. They can argue. They can, they can think you're crazy. But it's your experience. It is, it is your life's story. And I think that's what's so critically important. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking about three lessons that I think we can learn from Peter about being a witness for Jesus. Coming from some of the the, the pieces of this story that we've read about the man being healed in the name of Jesus and and stirring up the concerns of the authorities and, and just realizing, well, this is the way that it's going to be and going on to be witnesses for Jesus. First lesson is this, and gosh, there's just nothing life, uh, you know, deeply life-changing or profound here, I don't think, other than my prayer has been that the Spirit of God will, will take this truth to the next level in our lives. First lesson is this, I think effective witness starts with a personal experience with Jesus. I think it really has to. We can, we can talk about Jesus. We can share truth, biblical truth about Jesus. We can even, we can even share theological perspectives on Jesus. But I think the starting point of effective witness is when we talk about who Jesus is to us. Who Jesus is to us because Jesus didn't come to be a spiritual 
argument. He didn't come to be a theological point. He didn't come to be this this objective narrative that can be talked about apart from life transformation. Jesus came to change lives. Jesus came to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from what we deserve for for being people who by nature reject the presence of God in his world. Jesus came to be our savior and to save us back into the relationship for which we were created. Man, oh man, that's got to touch some kind of a nerve inside of us. Because if we believe the truth, of what the scripture teaches us, we weren't getting there on our own. It wasn't going to happen. It was the amazing love and transforming grace of God. In this series, I've suggested to you that Peter's life transformation began, I think, when he recognized the incredible love that Jesus had for him. Peter, do you love me three times? Jesus, I don't love you with agape love, but I I love you as a good friend. I love you as a family member. You're you're dear to me. You remember that discussion. He, He had to come to grips while he was in that dark place of despair and struggling with the reality of just how unfaithful and unreliable he was. He recognized in the midst of that how Jesus was willing to love him every step of the way. In one minute, Peter denies. In another minute, Peter loves. Jesus met him in that place and I think forced Peter to recognize that's who he was. And that Jesus loved him right there, the way that he was, for who he was. Peter was was far from perfect. Peter was not brilliant. He was unschooled, according to our narrative this morning. He had no theological degree. But he came face to face with the transforming love of Jesus, recognizing that nothing would separate him from that love, not even his own selfish, fear-filled heart. And then came Pentecost. Wow! And that heart was filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Peter became a witness. I think that's the first thing that we can learn from Peter because his heart and our hearts are a whole lot alike. Brothers and sisters, have we ever faced the truth of who we are? Loved by Jesus in all our imperfections. And gosh, I know I've said these kinds of things to you before, but but we... We play these comparison games in our minds and, and we, can, we can understand how, how God would love us because we're not all that bad. You want to see bad? Let me tell you these, let me show you these people. 
And, and, and that's what we do in our humanness. Because I think, quite frankly, there's something in the human heart, whether people want to admit it or not, that knows we're broken. You know, if they don't look in the mirror and think that, they look around the world and think that. You'd have to be an idiot not to think that the world is a mess and that it's people who make it a mess. We are part of the mess. And we were part of the mess when Jesus stepped into our lives and said, I will love you right where you are. I will take you where you are at. We will work with this. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, it's the love of Christ that compels me and the other apostles to be the witnesses that we are. The love of Christ compels us. We can't stop thinking and talking about the love of Jesus. Frankly, I think that started for him. I've got all these theories. Who knows? I think that started for him on the road to Damascus. Because Paul was pretty sure he knew who Jesus was or wasn't. He was pretty sure that he knew God. And then he met him. And he was forced to deal with his sin, with his broken heart, with his wrong thinking about Jesus. And I believe that's when changes began. Someone has said that Jesus loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Yes. He loves us enough to transform us into those who witness to the glory and the praise of God, those who reflect his life and his values. Passion comes from believing the truth about who we were apart from Jesus and who those who are apart from Jesus yet today in our lives, who they are. They are lost. They stand condemned before the Holy One. Have we met Jesus in a way that causes us to to marvel at His love and desire to to use us in mission. Wow. To make him known to the world. You remember Casey Franklin from Inversion Community Church. He's been here two or three times. <clears throat> I was at Casey's church last night and, and, and we, we sang this praise song that I had never heard before. <clears throat> Stand in awe and worship. Stand in awe and worship. Lift your voice in praise. And, and I was struck with one of those quirky thoughts that you know I often have. And, and so often they come in the singing of a song. And so we, we, we sang that song and I thought, oh yeah, there, there again, there's that answer for those folks that, that we know. And, and maybe it's us because we've perhaps said things like, you know, someday when I stand before God, we're going to have to have a conversation about this or that. And as we sang that song, I thought, no, no, that's not happening. <clears throat> Stand in awe. Stand in awe. And then probably after maybe the first 500 or 1,000 years of eternity, 
we, we might find some words because before that our mouth is just hanging open in the presence of this God that we never imagined is so incredible and so beautiful. And then we'll probably be on our faces for the next 500 or 1,000 years. <clears throat> and then after that, we, we might venture to, to stand up in the presence of God again, at which point he might say, now, did you have something we needed to talk about? And, <laughs> nope, <laughs> not a thing, not a thing. <clears throat> to, to worship God, to be transformed by his love and his grace and called into mission to partnership with him, wow, have we recognized how undeserving we are of that love and that forgiveness. What a privilege it is to partner with him, to make him known in, in every way possible. And I believe that was the necessary thing that, that Peter had to learn about himself and about Jesus after the resurrection. Before that, he was a follower, as Matt mentioned earlier, he was one of those followers who, who followed Jesus under his own power. That just, that just didn't carry him through. But when he understood how much Jesus loved him, it didn't become a reason to excuse his weaknesses. It seems to, according to the book of Acts, to have become an opportunity for Peter to be putty in, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, molding and shaping him in the way that, that he chose. So I think effective witness starts with personal experience of Jesus. How is our personal experience of Jesus? Are we, are we pursuing him? Are we, are we spending time with him? Are we, are we reading the word about him? Are we asking the spirit of God to make him real and powerful in our lives? Second lesson when the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of Jesus gets a hold of us. We realize that everything that we say and do that is of any value to anyone, that is a source of blessing for any reason in anyone's life, is solely because of His grace at work in us. Peter and John were concerned as the crowd came running over. This is amazing! And Peter says, let's be clear about why this happened and in whose name this happened. Let's be clear about the power that flowed through John and myself to touch and change this man's life. Peter said, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing. Now, I think this is a challenging truth for us, but the Spirit of God lives in us to empower us to give witness to Jesus for anything good that comes from us. We take credit for the bad. Jesus gets credit for anything that is good. A kind thought, a kind word, thoughts that move us to a kind action, it's because of Jesus. Does that mean, and here's where I think we struggle, does that mean that we would never do anything kind or good without Jesus? No, I don't think that that's true. 
Because there are people that we know all around us every day that do good and kind things apart from Jesus. But we're called to be his witnesses. So that means we are called to give witness to him to make sure that he is exalted and not us. Are you with me? So if we don't give him credit for the good stuff in our lives, people will give us credit. Colossians 1 reminds us that we were made by Jesus and we were made for Jesus. And the Spirit lives in us to connect that truth to every area of our lives. Jesus should get credit for every good word, for every good deed, for every talent, for ability, for intelligent decisions, for smart business moves, on and on and on and on. It's not to say that we don't have gifts and abilities that are ultimately from Him that we use in the common every day of our lives. But when people notice those things, our response needs to be, thanks be to Jesus who has made me this way. Are you with me? That's troubling to some people because they feel like it is demeaning of humanity. I don't think so. I think it's realistic about the human heart. The human heart wants to take credit for things that ultimately are from the hand and the design of the one who created us. And as witnesses, we stand up in that world of people who want to call attention to themselves, and we call attention to Jesus. Are we good with that? Okay. I think that's, that's the second lesson. Third lesson. <laughs> I don't know what you think about this. But I am becoming increasingly convinced that we need to keep the witness, the the verbal. When the opportunity comes to, to speak a word of witness and praise, I think we need to make it about Jesus. I really do. Make it about Jesus no matter who it is that's listening, whether they're going to like it or not. And I'm not saying that in a sense of in your face, take this sucker. I'm saying we are generally making it about Jesus because of our personal relationship with him, because we know what he has done for us, both theologically and experientially. And we find ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit, compelled to speak about the one who gave himself for us. Every religion in the world has a God. Don't take this the wrong way. But I think, I think, do I think this? I do think this. I think that there may be more power and value From a human perspective, I'm not speaking for how God does what he does in the world. I think there might be more value. Certainly there'll be more reaction. Maybe that's what I want to say. If we bring Jesus into it versus bringing God into it. Because everybody in the world has a God. And God is really kind of negotiable in terms of what they believe. Jesus, 
Non, he's non-negotiable. You know, we have one source that reveals who Jesus is. The Gospels. Some scant writings in some early manuscripts, 1st, 2nd, 3rd century. You bring Jesus into the conversation, <clears throat> and I think it just kind of increases the stakes. Now, as Orthodox Trinitarians, we know that the Father and the Son are God. But when we bring Jesus into the conversation, we mention Jesus' name, we give Jesus credit, there is a possibility that that person knows enough about Jesus that it conjures up images in their mind of the cross and death and wrongdoing and creates a possible talking point. Also creates a possible point of rejection. And we can't forget that this is a spiritual battle for the soul's of precious human beings. The authorities told them to stop talking about Jesus. They said, we can't. Implied is, we won't. You decide for yourselves who we should obey. What's more important and right in the eyes of God? The Jewish authorities didn't have any problem at all talking about God. Jesus was another issue. So, let me say this, one final point, just that I think is so important. Don't hear me saying that when the opportunity presents itself and it's just obvious that we can mention Jesus in this conversation or that we can give glory to Jesus as our Savior for something in our life that someone has noticed or commended us for. We don't have to give them a sermon. That's, I think, one of the, the magnificent miracles in Peter's life. He went from this bumbling individual who was always putting his foot in his mouth to this incredible orator under the power of the Holy Spirit. It could be that the Spirit gives you that ability. Man, go for it. But I think maybe the, the more important lesson is the power and the persuasiveness that is in that name, Jesus. Speaking the name of Jesus into a conversation, speaking of your experience with Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. Oh, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me, and maybe it's a short story as opportunity presents itself and as the person is willing to listen. We're not talking speeches nor sermons. My friends, I think this is real stuff. This is where we live our lives. This is just the nitty-gritty of of who God calls us to be as followers of His Son. At Casey's church last night, there was a young woman who gave a testimony about <clears throat> living a lost life. And then she met Jesus. It was so cool because 
she was talking about transformation. Jesus just began to change me. She said, so, so I, I had opportunity to share who Jesus was and what he was doing in my life on Facebook with some of my friends. And she said, some of my friends got mad at me and told me to take that stuff off of Facebook. You know, she could have said, I've become a member of the Baha'i faith. I've become a Muslim and I I follow Muhammad. I've become a Hindu and, and I worship the God Krishna. Not a single person would have told her to take that off of her Facebook site. <clears throat> We're in spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. This is warfare. This is for the souls of people. This witness thing is serious. Oh, God, hear me say that for myself. It is serious. Jesus is controversial because he's all about saving people from themselves. Praise team, come on up. Let me tell one final story as you're coming that I just think underscores the wonder and the beauty of transformation. You may know the name Howard Hendricks for years, Christian educator, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's also, for a number of years, was the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And he tells this story. He said, one time, one of the Cowboys came up to me after he had come to Christ a few years back. What a testimony. He came to me one day and he said, Howie, short for Howard, Howie, I'm going out to training camp and I need an assignment. I said, okay, I want you to read the book of Ephesians. The book of what? The book of Ephesians. How do you spell that, he said. Well, I said, have you found Matthew? Yeah, 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 I've got that. It's right here in the front. He said, well, just go find Matthew and then go to the right. A few more pages. You'll come to Ephesians. So he went to training camp. Hendricks says, I found out later that he read the book of Ephesians six times every single day. When he came back, he called me up and he said, Hendricks, I've got to get together with you. You know that assignment you gave me? I said, yeah. He said, man, it blew my mind. And then began a relationship of mentoring and discipling. Hendricks says he gave his testimony one night in Dallas to a large gathering of people. It just blew the minds of the people who were there, and especially those who knew this man well. He said in his testimony, I want you to know that I was the most yellow man in America behind a closed door. I'll take on anybody in the NFL. It usually takes two or three to put me down. But you put me behind a closed door, and I become a chicken. Then he said this, Jesus Christ came into my life. And how do I know that it's real? I'll tell you. He took a self-centered, great big football stud like me who had all of his life revolving around him and he began to deliver me from myself. That's what Jesus does. And that's what we are called to witness to. Let's make it about Jesus. Amen.